This is the Rings of Power podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about the Rings of Power, episode four, The Great Wave. Is our valor confined to the graves of our slumbering fathers? Or is it here? Amongst us, even now, waiting to burst forth as the rising sun. Welcome back, fellow ringers. Yes, this is TV Podcast Industries, and it is episode four of The Rings of Power and our discussion about the Great Wave. I am one of your hosts, John. I am one of your other hosts, Derek, back from holidays, all rested and slightly tanned. Three days in the sun. Uh, Yes. That'll do it for us. Certainly will. (laughs) I'm glad we didn't have a Great Wave whilst we were by the beach uh, in Croatia, to be honest. Yeah, that would have been uh, devastating. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Really would have spoiled the holiday, Mm, I guess. Yeah, just a bit, just a bit. But we wouldn't be here to talk about it if it was the kind of wave that we see in in episode four of uh, Rings of Power. No, (laughs) (laughs) most definitely not. But fellow ringers, if you're joining us uh, again, or if it's your first time finding the podcast Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. You can also find any good or evil podcast catcher of your choice over on our website at tvpodcastindustries.com where you can uh, subscribe to the podcast. Send in any feedback, uh, theories, comments or observations on the Rings of Power to our email at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Absolutely, yeah. We've we've said before, we're not the Tolkien scholars uh, here. So if we get anything wrong or if anything you wanted to add to uh, your thoughts of Rings of Power, we'd love to hear from you. And we have some uh, some good bits of feedback coming in for episode four and episode five, uh, the episodes that were out while we were away. Yes. Yeah. So let's get on with our spoiler-filled chat on episode four. Derek, what are some of the episode details? Well, this show is based on The Lord of the Rings and the Appendices by J.R.R. Tolkien. The showrunners for the show are J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay. Uh, episode 4 was directed by Wayne Shi Yip, who directed Episode 3 and Episode 5 as well. Interestingly, uh, J.A.B. Owner directed the first two episodes of uh, of the series. And this episode, The Great Wave, is about a tsunami coming in and destroying a city, which was one of J.A.B. Owner's major movies yes that the impossible true. Uh, yes, was, was tom holland yes that was his movie so i'm quite surprised that uh that jay Biana didn't want to do uh the the episode about the massive wave coming in to take out numenor yeah interesting although it is mainly in kind of dream yes. form i guess yes in that is. sense yeah but it's just because he had that uh that, that previous knowledge i was surprised to not see him as the director of the episode yeah that no is that's true it's amazing. interesting yeah it is amazing uh but this episode was written by stephanie Folsom and showrunners jd payne and patrick mckay uh stephanie Folsom wrote toy story 4 oh, interestingly wow. okay. and was also one of the writers on uh thor ragnarok one of the uncredited writers i believe there's about 12 writers on that uh on that movie <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Uh, and she was the writer and original showrunner of Paper Girls on Prime Video as well. Good stuff, yes. Well, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for Episode 4 of The Rings of Power, The Great Wave? Sure. 
Queen Regent Muriel has a vivid dream of the destruction of Numenor by the Great Wave. With tensions in the city rising, the dream and its portents shape Queen Muriel's dealings with Galadriel and her decision to send her back to Middle-earth and away from Numenor. Placed in prison, Galadriel's neighbour, Halbrand, offers her some advice to slow down, understand her captors, and be less confrontational with the Queen. As the Chancellor Farazan comes to collect Galadriel for departure, she escapes to the tower to seek an audience with the true king of Numenor, Muriel's father. But the queen is already there and takes the opportunity to show Galadriel the vision of Numenor's destruction in Apalantia. Galadriel convinces Muriel to join the fight against the orcs in the Southlands. As preparations begin for war, the Sealdor pledges himself to the effort. Meanwhile, in the Southlands, Arondir meets Adar, who appears to be a scarred elf from the Elder Days. Adar releases Arondir, giving him a message to be passed on to the humans who have taken refuge in the old elven watchtower. They have the opportunity to surrender and swear fealty to Adar. But with food running out, Theo and Rowan go scavenging back at their village, Tyriad. As Rowan is scared off by the orcs, they learn that Theo holds the dark sword hilt they seek. As Theo tries to escape from the orcs, he is helped by Arondir and his mother Bronwyn. Meanwhile, in Kazakh Doom, the dwarves have found Mithril and keep it a secret, but Elrond discovers the mine and swears an oath to Prince Durin to keep his secret. Heading back to Linden with Elrond, King Durin III informs his son to discover what the elves of Linden are up to. Hmm. Yes. Secrets and lies. It is. Yes. Indeed, it is. <laughs> All that suspicion definitely um, comes from somewhere, shall we say, between dwarves, elves, mm. elves, humans, you name it. Um, it's Whether it's um, small man syndrome for the dwarves <laughs> or whether it's the superiority complex that the elves give off that uh, affect yeah. the humans, who knows? But yeah. um, certainly um, it seems that there is justification to be suspicious, certainly certainly in these higher circles that are, uh, that we're dealing with yeah. here in the Rings of Power. I, I think that's kind of the, uh, the, the story behind all of Middle-earth, really. Nobody trusts anybody else. Uh, everybody has a problem with everybody else. You know, the Numenorians don't like the elves. The the uh, dwarves don't trust the elves. The uh, humans have their problems, obviously, with the orcs and, and Adar and the Southlands. Um, so, so there is all this untrustworthy stuff. And, of course, the elves uh, who were looking out over the uh, over the humans in the Southlands, they are untrustworthy because they were policing the whole uh, society. So everybody has a problem with everybody else in this in this It really region. does, yeah. And then hopefully they can form a fellowship and overcome those uh, those existing issues so they can fight against the real evil. That's yeah. kind of the way you'd see it, right? Exactly, exactly. But let's discuss these tales of Middle-earth mm-hmm. uh, for episode four, The Great Wave. Let's move on to our tale number one, Arondir and Adar. Uh, yes, uh, what do you think about this? It, this was big, because obviously last yeah. episode ended with this uh, this moment where uh, Arondir was pulled back into the orcs and pulled back in by the orcs and brought to meet Adar. Uh, we kind of said he looked... Uh, it looked vaguely human, possibly elvish. Uh, and we get a proper confrontation between Arondir and Adar, a moment where they 
where they talk or have some kind of discussion, Arondir throws a bit of doubt on what type of species Adar is because Arondir is is an elf, has been around for a thousand years, um, and hears that Adar visited his original hometown. Effectively, he he knows where he's from, so potentially Adar is elvish. But there's something odd about him. Obviously, he's a much darker creature than we've seen yes. the rest of the elves. He's leading the orcs. He's there. He's called their father. This, the, the, the translation of Adar uh, is father. So he is definitely has a connection to the elves. But it's not clear exactly what he is or under even calls that out. What, what are you? What exactly are you? Yeah, so. and he doesn't really give a straight answer. But mm-hmm. he's not wearing all the sun protective garments that the other orcs are. Mm-hmm. But then we haven't seen him out in in the sun. Yes. Uh, just yet. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this was really interesting. I mean, even just having sort of the tension of... Um, Adar putting one of uh, his orcs um, out out of its misery, you know, sort mm. of sort of it's been injured, and effectively his his medicine is a knife to the gut, and you yes. see then Arondir sort Kindly of picking up a bit of sort of metal to use as a, a makeshift kind of dagger if mm-hmm. he needs to. But I thought this, um, I thought this kind of confrontation, you know, it, it was really good because. Uh, Adar very much it feels like he has the upper hand here he's quite calm collected speaking mm-hmm. about where Arondir was born and mm-hmm. and his um his thoughts and his memories of that place yeah. um you know and but then also try, I mean in some ways almost trying to um sort of appeal to Arondir's maybe um intrigue and another side to Arondir where mm. he says, you know, you have been told many lies that run deep yeah. um, about, is it him, the orcs and so on. So mm. really kind of, I mean, again, we don't get any answers to what those lies yeah. amount to. Yeah, but- he just says the whole world is filled with lies. It's built on lies and effectively only gods can change the world. And he says, I'm not a god. Well, not yet, anyway. So he does seem to have a plan to change the world into his own image, uh, effectively. But, I mean, ultimately, he actually releases Arondir to go back to the the watchtower Mm -hmm. uh, to deliver a message to the men and women of of the the area, which is basically, you know, that they may live if they release their lands to him and Mm. swear fealty to him. So kind of, you know interesting here because i think you know this ties in a bit to um the other part of this tale Mm. which is um theo and the hilt and returning to to the village to to get food it connects in with a a ronde arriving back to deliver that message uh but from adar so we have the message here being delivered once theo has managed to escape from their their village mm-hmm. um that the the humans are running out of food there's not enough rabbits or livestock in the countryside to yeah. hunt because the orcs are hunting them as well mm. um and it's dangerous but theo and rowan go back to their village to try and get supplies then from uh waldrig's cellar so that's that's the guy in the bar mm. Um, the guy has been constantly challenging Bronwyn because yes. she seems to have been 
becoming more of a leader for them since she took the head of an orc and brought it to uh, to the bar to tell everybody to get out of the town and, and go to uh, and go to the watchtower she seems to be kind of taking over a bit of the following i guess of the uh, of the former people and now what we did see in in uh, in the watchtower is loads of other towns have come it's not just their hometown that's there it's loads of other towns have come together uh, to try and uh, pr- protect themselves from the orcs um there does seem to be this kind of push to return the Southlanders, who traditionally, as we heard in the first episode, I think it was, traditionally had a connection and were followers of Morgoth. There seems to be yeah. this push that, you know, return to the ways of your previous generations, follow Adar, join with the orcs and give up your lands to us and then you'll be safe. I think safe probably means working for them, doesn't it? I guess so. Mm, I don't but, I mean, it's interesting. Free. I'd love to actually get a better understanding or a clearer picture as to how the Southlanders were treated under Morgoth. Because mm. it, it seems that, you know, blood oaths were, were given by mm. the, the, the king at the time, mm-hmm. uh, Halbrand's descendants, yeah. um, to be, you know, effectively fealty to him. Yeah. Um, the other way around, isn't it? What's, he's a descendant. So what's the other way around? The, uh, his ancestors. And yeah. His ancestors. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think, um, It'd be good to know how the men and women back in that great war with Morgoth, where mm. they fought on his side, just how well they were treated. Because, mm. you know, we get here later on. The big thing here that we see is Waldreg, who um, Rowan and Theo go off to to clear out his cellar, also knows that Theo has this hilt. Mm-hmm. And has actually probably known for a while. And you actually see that he is a follower of Sauron, is waiting for his return, and is telling Theo he must prepare himself as well and and keep strong for what's to come. So you have this this whole idea that, you know, there's a huge number of people that are still loyal followers of Morgoth and his, you know, his general Sauron mm. and are waiting for this return. Yeah, um, I so I thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah. I really liked that idea that, you know, because up till now with most, you know, well, with all of the villagers following Bronwyn and mm-hmm. um, seemingly pretty scared about it as well, the orcs attacking most people or capturing yeah. a lot of people, you know, that's justified as well. But, sprinkled within this there are people that um are waiting the return well exactly and and remember of their king yeah there you go yeah but remember waldreg uh is the person that was holding on to the hilt the hilt that theo found was underneath his property Mm -hmm. um so i guess he's keeping it as a former follower of morgoth or maybe his people were followers of of morgoth um and he was keeping it in in case the king did return, as you say, in case, yeah. in case the leader did return in future. So, um, it is interesting that he does know about Theo. And I do wonder whether Theo was going back to get food or was he going back to get food and possibly maybe get some other item when he went back? Was he thinking, well, I found the hilt there. Maybe there's something else cool, some other cool, uh, weapon there that I can, that I can pick up since I found the hilt, you know, uh, I have to say the scene when we have the orc. Uh, coming in a great little horror scene when uh, when he's searching out that last bag of rice, uh, when Theo's searching out that last bag of rice, 
and the uh, the two of them battle. And then Theo taps into his blood to create the full blade. Yeah. Uh, is absolutely amazing. I love that scene. I thought that was and the, really the good. And the sword growing mm. out from the hilt. Yeah, it was yeah. really, really good. But ultimately as well then, the orcs now know where this artifact, this hilt is. Yeah. And they say to Adar that this, you know, the, the boy from the village in the watchtower mm-hmm. has this hilt and this is what they need for some uh, other purpose here. Yeah. So I really kind of, I I like that danger added in fact to the danger of Theo and Rowan going back to the village just to get the supplies. You know, Mm -hmm. I think Theo took it ultimately as, as a weapon to defend himself. Yeah. And, and again, you know, we were wondering, is he getting taken over by the power of this hilt, mm. you know, in a similar way as the rings? But at least he doesn't want to, or he doesn't conform to the orcs. You know, he fights them off. I love the cat and mouse through the village as he looks to cool. escape. Yeah. But then, you know, that's clouded again with the conversation with Waldrek mm. at the end. So, well, especially because he shows this him. This was a great development, I thought, in the story. Yeah, absolutely. But especially because Waldrek shows him the scars that he has on his arm from doing exactly what um, Theo is doing. And you would suspect that Waldrek yeah. was doing it as, um, as playing with it almost because. He probably hasn't been attacked by orcs and probably hasn't had to use it to defend himself. Um, so it's almost self-harm um, is what he's done to himself. And he's showing these scars that he's yeah. that he's had uh, to, the- to Theo to kind of compare the two of them and saying, look, we're both alike. We should be following uh, Morgoth. Um, yeah. We should be following Adar, I guess, uh, since Morgoth is no longer around. Definitely. Um, yeah, but we I- do have Arondir coming in and helping Theo and saving him. And we get a, a great moment of yeah. him fighting back against the orcs, that awesome moment of him grabbing an arrow out of the sky and, yeah. and firing it back at the orcs in that. slow motion. That's that's again we've mentioned before some of the cool moments from uh, Legolas in the in the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy. This felt very similar to a Legolas moment, grabbing a, an arrow that's being fired at you out of yeah. the sky and firing it back. Very cool. <laughs> I really really enjoyed this whole sequence. Mm. Thought it was the escape of theory from the village. The him bumping into a Rondir who then protects him. Yeah. And then his mom who's come to find where he is mm-hmm. after Rowan, because Rowan has effectively um, run away. Run away. Yeah. You know, it, it's starting to get dark. Yeah. Um, the sun is go- is going down. Yeah. And he's already got a wheelbarrow full of food. So mm-hmm. he kind of races off. I want to criticize Rowan, but I think I'd do the same thing. I think I would do the same <laughs> thing as well. But the, the, the music in this scene mm. then at, on this chase through the dark forest by the orcs, it's just superb. And what I love about it more is when they get out into the open and sort of sunrise is happening and the clouds break, then the orcs can't move from the, the forest yeah. into, into the sunlight. But it's even just how this whole epic piece of music to my mind, mm-hmm. um, just merge, you know, of, Arondir, Theo, and Bronwyn escaping the orcs just merges into Deesa's singing um, into and and becomes a continuation and moves into Deesa's singing um, in 
in Castle of Doom. Oh, it's fabulous. Uh, which I, I guess we can take us on to our, our tale number two. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Which is Mithril in Castle of Doom. Mm. Uh, but just to continue that, it really gave me goosebumps and Deez is singing to the rocks. I thought it was really uh, amazing. And you see Elrond looking on, really intrigued, and she tells him it was a plea to the rocks to release... Uh, those miners um, from the mining shaft that had been caught in a cave-in. Um, and it's just, I just found it really, really cool. It was uh, so good, wasn't it? And yeah. Again, you know, we, we are getting such a great insight into the dwarves here. You know, there's loads in The Hobbit, and I feel like I know dwarves very well in this universe because there's so many dwarves in The Hobbit, yeah. all different types of characters um, that are that are explored really well in the Peter Jackson movies. But this they were all broken dwarves they were all dwarves without a home trying to get back to their home here we have dwarves in their home dealing with major issues they're miners and some miners got trapped in a cave-in yes that's a that would be quite a a, a significant occurrence for this group of people that work in conjunction with the mountain as they've said before so this idea of having them sing to um allow them to be freed and allow them to come back with breath in their bodies and we learn later that all of them were saved. All of them come yes. back um, with breath in their bodies, as, as they say. Um, but it is beautiful. And, yeah, and I, believe it really it's, is. I believe it's the actress herself who was doing that that song as well. And it's absolutely beautiful, really gorgeous touch. Um, but this is all surrounding the investigation, I guess, of Elrond into what this item is in Khazad-dûm. Yeah. Uh, it, where, it, he's, where he's talking to Durin about, about what's, what is this thing that's, uh, that they're mining in this deep, deepest of the old uh, mines. Well, that's it. It's, it's all kind of kicked off, actually, with Selim Brimble um, saying that Durin is avoiding avoiding him or, mm. or at least hiding something. And so Elrond uh, it goes off to investigate, mm-hmm. really. Uh, and we we see the forge being built as well in Linden as well. You know, it's it's getting pretty sizable at this stage. Is, yeah. And and so that really is what prompts Elrond to go. He's inve- he's asking uh, Princess Deza, you know, w- what's happening and so on. And yeah. I, I love how, you know, she tells a lie by telling the truth mm-hmm. to some extent. You know, it's like yeah. a white lie. Uh, but when she's she's there on the bridge with Durin um, and you have the, the magical lip-reading abilities of, of Elrond, no which effectively leads yes. him to... Uh, the old mine there, which is beneath the Miramir. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. I, I have to say, Disa is, is fast becoming one of my favourite characters. I love her protectiveness of her family, but she's got a real good sense of humour about her as yeah. well. Um, she is playing with Elrond. She knows he's a difficult person to deal with. He, he'll be able to see through lies. So, as you say, she kind of works the lies so that they don't, yeah. they don't, they feel like truth. So, uh, I thought that was fantastic getting to see this, uh, this character work around, uh, around Elrond. Um, but he's still suspicious, which is why he's able to, uh, watch on and, uh, and learn what they're doing by reading their lips. Um, yeah. but, but again, we see the friendship of these two characters of Durin yes. and Elrond. Uh, Durin entrusts the information to, uh, to Elrond that he, they have found this brand new ore under the mountains of Khazad-dûm, um, which is something that they've never seen before. So this would bring great riches, he says, to yeah. to, to the dwarven race. This is the, this will be something that will echo through the 
generations of dwarves if they have this material and they're the only people in Middle-earth that have it. That means they can sell it for whatever they want. Um, yeah, it's it will bully- lead to prosperity yeah. and so on. And so, you know, Durin's is thinking that the elves are here to steal, like mm-hmm. to find out about it and steal this mithril. Well, certainly King Durin is. Yeah. And he's imposing that on his son going, you know, the elves are here for this reason. I really liked yeah. as well that, you know, in Dwarvish, it's actually known as Grey Glitter, mm-hmm. um, whereas it's Mithril is the Elvish um, form of the description of this new ore. Yes. Which nice. is really interesting. Yeah. And um, Durin has an attempt at saying Mithril, mm-hmm. but doesn't quite get it right. But it, So I, I, I like that little element to it yeah. as well, to be honest. I also kind of like the trust that it shows between Durin and Elrond again, you know, showing how strong their friendship is that he gives them some of the mithril he the, his father suspects that the elves want this mithril but when Durin and elrond have the discussion eventually um he hands over some of the mithril to uh to elrond as a gift to him to show the trust between the two of them but not before we have the great moment of him having to swear to the mountain which again another ritual of the dwarves yeah. you know um if he says this if he swears to the mountain then i know i can trust him effectively so yeah, yeah. exactly you know there is an importantly there is an oath uh here given by elrond not mm-hmm. to let this secret Tell out effectively else, yeah. um and I, I think, interestingly, speaking of, of secrets, in the same way we had Selim Brimble, you know, being suspicious of Durin's motives, mm-hmm. you then have Prince Durin with his his father, King Durin the Third, mm-hmm. um, effectively agreeing that Durin should go to to Linden um, with Elrond. Mm-hmm. to find out what is at work with the elves. Like, again, there is a, an undercurrent of suspicion here about the true motives of of the elves mm. and this pact that's been presented to him as king. Yeah. Um, but I, as as well as that, I, I just, I really liked um, Durin because of that caving, because the king was telling him to be cautious to go slowly, not to overextend, and mm-hmm. and his son Prince Durin really just trying to speed it on. Yeah. He goes to ask for, for forgiveness from his dad uh, after saying how difficult it was going to be to Elrond, and Elrond mm-hmm. giving him, you know, basically telling him, you know, be precious with the time that you've got. Yeah. And uh, so there was a re- that was a really nice moment, certainly when I think King Durin just says, for, you know, forever I am with you, my son. Uh, there's nothing to forgive. Absolutely, you know, And yeah. the traditions that when a new king is anointed in dwarven society, that it is known that the... The good, the bad, the wisdom um, is passed on mm-hmm. through uh, and from the the, the ancestors yeah. to the new king. So I thought that was really good. Absolutely. And I wonder if there's a little nod to King Durin knowing that his son is so like him. Um, that yeah. He already has passed on all of his knowledge because his son is so similar to him in in many ways. I wonder if that was the if that was what the comment was. You know, he says to him, I'm with you always, especially in moments of anger, almost like I'm just like you kind of thing. So uh, we'll always be together no matter whether you, you hear me raise my voice, we'll always be together. And I think that's a good resolution to that 
uh, conversation that was had with Elrond. You know, you enjoy all the time you have with them because one day they'll be gone. But if you know them well, then you can keep that with you for the rest of your life. So, uh, yeah, really like that. Thought that was that the, these scenes are great. I really love the, the how they're building this relationship out, particularly through the eyes of yeah. Elrond and and uh, Durin, who in some ways are pushing back against each of their kind to keep their friendship together. Yeah, exactly. You know, the it's, only, yeah. it's really good. Like the only relationship that we've seen like this before is Legolas and Gimli, who were constantly butting heads until they became great friends in the Fellowship and then um, went yeah. went on to become great friends for the rest of their lives. So uh, seeing this kind of old friendship here in, in uh, Rings of Power, I think, works really well. Really it really enjoyable. does, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and it's at a different level, I think, with... Uh, Legolas and Gimli because of the nature of what's happening. This mm-hmm. feels very much about, you know, mistrust and suspicion around motives between two very proud and important races mm-hmm. of dwarves and elves. And the, this is the upper echelons of their society. Yeah. Um, you know, th- this is almost a bit like espionage, but within yeah. this, there is actually two friends trying to, as you say, navigate, navigate through it mm-hmm. and, and almost protect their friendship as much as their own society exactly yeah so I've, I've, i'm really enjoying how the um the dwarves are being portrayed here mm-hmm. i think it, it's it feels really different for me absolutely um and so i'm really enjoying it uh, but let us move with that on to tale number three absolutely galadriel gets support from the numenorians mm, finally she's been working hard at this hasn't she well, she has, but probably with the wrong tact. <laughs> yes, yes. Shouting in their faces and telling them uh, <laughs> she just wants a ship to get back and fight her fight uh, in the past. But this has all been building for the last few episodes, really. And and seeing, you know, the distrust that's there in the Numenorians. You know, we, we heard before that they cut off the elves. They, the elves aren't allowed to go to, uh, to Numenor. They separated their friendship, separated their relationship. Um and there was mass, there's massive distrust between these peoples. That's why the king is no longer in power. Uh, yeah. And that's why we have the queen, queen regent here, because he was someone that was going back to the old ways. He was someone that, that did trust the elves. Um, and yeah, there's some strife going on within the Numenorians thinking, hang on a second. Uh, Galadriel has just walked in here and she has the ear of the queen, uh, or the ear of the queen regent. She's the one telling her, uh, what to do effectively. But what they don't know is that she's had this dream of the wave coming in and, and destroying Numenor. Um, nobody there to save them, the whole city of Numenor taken out. So she has this, uh, thing going on in her mind, potentially a, vision of what could happen in the future you know if they stay where they are maybe they will all be wiped out and wiped off uh the face of the earth well that's it and it's on the basis of that vision where galadriel summoned to the the royal chamber mm-hmm. um were effectively again galadriel puts up the the fight to say that you know the Numenorians must come and fight with her against yeah. the forces of evil i i, I I always like that snap cut where effectively um, someone has just offended uh-huh. another person of great authority uh, and really shouldn't have done that. And then there's the cut to effectively Galadriel um, being put into to prison. Yes, none uh, such as you will quell my fire and then the, uh, the door slams yeah, on the exactly. prison door. Yes. It, it was just really, really good. But I mean... Yeah. You know, behind this is that, you know, we, we got it from um, an earlier episode about the 
the importance, you know, mm-hmm. the, the the conversation about the importance of these different signs, importance uh, around destiny and fate, and yeah. and you know whether they are real and should be looked at um, and and be used for decisions, yeah. and the the opposite that they shouldn't be heeded to. Mm-hmm. And here, Queen. Uh, Muriel is effectively making decisions based on these portents yeah. of this great wave of, and of which Galadriel is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not only does she lock her up because of her rudeness mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, her, but it is also because she will be being put on a boat uh, and sent away from Numenor yeah. uh, in this moment. So I, I really like that kind of idea. Um, you know, just this, this balance, this battle of, um, you know, myth, legend, superstition, portents, you know, how the skies look or whatever mm-hmm. to, you know, how something may play out as predictors for future events. Yeah. So it, it, this was really, this was really good. And I liked how it then sort of put her in, uh, the prison locked up with Halbrand, where yeah. we then get a bit more, um, you know, discussion where he's advising her, you know, to conduct herself with, you know, a little, a bit more coolly, mm-hmm. um, in the throne room, um, you know, to find their weakness, but not so that she can exploit it, but so that they as Numenorians can master it. And by doing that, you master them. I thought that was a really interesting kind of piece of advice mm. from, from Hal Branch. You know, what is their weakness? But not to exploit it in the way of furthering that weakness, but to exploit it in a way so that, in effect, your opposition here can master that weakness. And then they become sort of enthralled by you so that you're almost brought into the circle of the Numenorians by helping them with this, which I thought was, um, I just thought was a really interesting piece of advice from Halbrand. Um, But I don't know quite whether she took it all on board because part of the reason that really irked Queen Muriel was that Gladriel actually asks for an audience with her father. Mm-hmm. Um, the real. The real the king, power here. Yeah, yes, the real right. power here. Mm-hmm. And when the Chancellor Farazon comes to collect her to, you know, get her shipped off the island, mm-hmm. she takes out all the guards and yep. runs off up into the tower where the king is. Pretty good move to take out <laughs> really all the guards, is. push them into the cell, yeah. close the door behind them, Um and then uh, leave Farazon uh, standing uh, with Halbrand telling him, you might as well stick out of this one, basically. <laughs> exactly. And this is where uh, the Queen tells that Galadriel is the first portent of this great wave. Um, the prophecy, this fear of the prophecy as she, you know, mm. pulls out a palantir, yes. which was really cool. Um Yes, it was the palantir. These um, the things that possibly can see the future they can see so much. I suppose is the way they're described. They can see so much yes. that they could potentially tell you 
of a future. Uh, we know Gladriel is uh, someone herself who has um, her mirror that can potentially tell you of futures, uh, which we which we see in the Lord of the Rings uh, movies, where yes, uh, where she could she is a believer in predictors of the future in in these portents. So uh, it was interesting to see her look into the Palantir and see this. Um, image of the wave uh, coming in to destroy Numenor. So uh, that kind of gets her on side again, I guess, with with Muriel. They've now seen the same vision. She knows now what Muriel is scared of. To Halbrand's comment, I suppose, she knows now that what the leader of Numenor is scared of. She's scared of this massive wave coming in and destroying their entire civilization. So um, so she kind of plays on that uh, yeah. to get her back on side, right? Yeah, she does. I really like the frank conversation between these two. You know, what was it that pulled you away from the elves. You know, Gladriel says the virtue which the Valor effectively gave them and entrusted this island, this star mm-hmm. island, was your loyalty to the elves and, and what your father believed in. You know, why has this come back and why has it been reneged on mm. almost? And it, it is this portent. It is the fear of this prophecy that mm-hmm. if we let elves on this island that's one of the first uh, portents to kick off whatever sequence to this great wave. And that it is on becoming king and queen that this Palantir, it becomes knowledge to you. Um, Otherwise, it's held in one of the royal towers. Mm. Oh, interesting stuff. Yeah. I wonder what's going to happen there. Uh, We still don't know what happens uh, to Numenor. Uh, We know it doesn't exist. In the next age, I guess. So, so I guess something bad's going to happen to uh, the Numenorians and Numenor. But, yeah, well, I um, think so. Yeah. I, the interesting thing as well with the Numenorians is that with the Queen essentially going with Gladriel now, mm-hmm. um, or making that decision in the Tower yeah. to go with her, I wonder if that becomes the reason for all the Numenorean structures then on Middle-earth that we see in, like, the Fellowship of the Rings and so on. Uh, Because it seems like they haven't actually been there. They've just been developing their guilds and their skills Mm -hmm. here on the Star Island of Numenor. Yeah, that's that's entirely possible. But we also see... um... Isildur's sister, Arian, um, doing some architectural drawings of all of the buildings, wasn't she? Isn't she an architect now? Yes. So she's drawing all the all the buildings. So potentially her book uh, goes with them as architectural drawings of these amazing buildings in, uh, in Numenor that get passed on and help with the creation of Gondor, potentially. You know, that's the one that's uh, that surrounds the, the white tree, uh, yes. which is mentioned quite significantly in this episode with the petals of the white tree as they fall are indicators of the tears of the Valor who are looking on at all times on the on the Numenorians. I love yes. that speech. I think it's absolutely it, magnificent. It really is. It yeah. really just gets that sense of the Tolkien I like, I guess. The, the, yeah. That really descriptive language that Tolkien had and, and that Jackson used, Peter Jackson used in, in his trilogy. Uh, absolutely beautiful scene as uh, as the Queen Regent convinces the rest of the Numenorians that they should join up with this battle for the Southlands and, yes. and go with Galadriel. It's absolutely beautiful moment. And again, beautifully visualized on screen. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's it for our tales. Mm-hmm. Are there any notes from Middle-earth? I guess just because we mentioned um, 
Aaron, uh, the sister of, of Isildur, uh, she's now having a little relationship there with, uh, with Kemen, the son of, uh, of Farazan. Yeah. Yeah. So that's lots of names there rather than, uh, rather than who they are. Uh, but, but yes, yeah, seems to be a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a relationship building there with, uh, with Kemen. Um, I also like the little Cobra Kai touch there where she was, uh, where she's being told that she, if she's washing the floors, it will help with her dexterity, which felt really like Cobra Kai. <laughs> yes. Uh, wash on, wash, wash on, on. Wash, exactly. wash off. Wax on, wax off. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing here we see with the seal door mm-hmm. is he hears the West calling his name once again. Uh, once yes. again. Um, and because of that, is thrown off uh, the sea guard um, yeah. of the Numenorians, along with his two mates, because rigging has been allowed to get loose on one of the training exercises mm-hmm. that they're doing. But right then, at the end, looks to join this expeditionary force to Middle-earth yep. uh, to aid the brethren um, from the Southlands. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, but that, that, was, that was kind of a new element to this voice calling a sealed or actually was that you know he hears the west calling his name i think mm-hmm. it makes reference to you know hearing his name coming from the west yeah. or that's how i interpreted it which it's like the valor is uh you know having Again, maybe prophesizing in some way. Uh, maybe, yeah. We'd heard a couple a couple of episodes ago that his brother has already gone off to the west yeah. of of Numenor to find the lands of their ancestors, effectively. So, um, so that's what he seems to be going past on the ship, and that's calling to him, calling out his name. So, that's a really interesting one. Uh, also, got to quickly call out um, Farazan, who's trying to calm down the uh, the uproar that's going on amongst the Numenorians um, calms them down by saying, look, it's just one elf. She can't change anything. We will still uh, we will still all be a, a united people and rewards them all with drinks for everybody. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so exactly. he knows his guildsmen. He knows his tradesmen. Um, cal- calm them down a bit. Get them out of this idea that the whole world's going to fall apart because just one elf has arrived yeah. in our land and then give them beer. And that'll uh, that'll keep them on side. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Which was actually the solution from uh, Halbrand uh, a couple of episodes as well uh, ago with the guildsman, wasn't it? It was uh, when when they came in to try and challenge him. He was like, "Drinks on me." Yes. Unfortunately, it ended off him going to prison because uh, he couldn't <laughs> he couldn't stop fighting with. Them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but with that, Derek, then. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you enjoy uh, episode four of The Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, The Great Wave? I loved this episode. I thought the opening particularly was absolutely fantastic because yeah. it's such a stunning image of these waves crashing in over this beautiful city. The, the city of Numenor is absolutely so well realized in the, in the series, but it's starting out there and then getting a bit about Adar at least and seeing a bit about the plan uh, about what's happening really cementing the idea that this series is all about how the Southlands becomes Mordor which is uh, yeah. which is w- what we expect to happen or where the story seems to be going uh, within this series but these are all great elements that are being added but I also loved the relationship between uh, Elrond and, and uh Durin at the heart of this kind of, as you say, this battle between the elves and the dwarves, this friendship that's continually being tested. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. A really, really good way of, of, uh, of telling that story. And then everything else that's going on to kind of whip up the 
unification, I guess, of a group that's going to hopefully battle against what's going on in, in the Southlands, against the taking over of uh, of the Southlands by uh, by these beasts. I think the story is playing out exactly at the pace I wanted to play out with a TV show of Lord of the Rings. It's not about backstabbing stabbing every episode. It's not about who's going to get killed and who's going to get overthrown. This is about the forging of a group of unlikely allies versus the great evil that's that's starting to take over the Southlands. And I think that's exactly how it's been how it's been done for the show and it's working really well for me loving episode four looking forward to episode five how about yourself john did you enjoy uh rings of power episode four <clears throat> yeah i really did um i'd give this four and a half palantir portents out of five Ooh, drinks um, all around absolutely uh yeah like you said really enjoy how this story is progressing and for me as well you know a number of standout moments just really beautiful in their imagery their importance and so on is queen muriel with the dream mm. and as you say with the petals falling from the tree Fabulous. Uh, absolutely loved the escape from the village of theo uh, mm. and uh then being joined by a rondier and bronwyn and just that whole musical piece i mean firstly just the shots were amazing the music back on just underscoring the whole scenes. It was tense and moved into just being epic as the sun bursts out from the clouds. But then just the edit into Disa uh, pleading to the rocks of the mountain of Khazad-dûm to release uh, the miners, just really um, fantastic piece of television to mm -hmm. me. I'm really loving um, Durin and Elrond's relationship, mm -hmm. as you've mentioned, just this, you know, friendship caught between two different races, in a yeah. sense, and their collective mistrust, um, at least at the higher levels of those societies with the other. Mm -hmm. um, so I, that's really good. And yeah, I mean, Galadriel, she just doesn't give up really. So, um, fur dues to, um, tenacity. Well, yeah. Uh, really <laughs> on this front. So yeah, four and a half Palantir portents out of five for me. Excellent stuff. Let's get some thoughts from our wonderful fellow wingers. Uh, our, thanks so much to those of you who sent us in feedback. Uh, you can continue to send us in feedback to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or pop on over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries where you can uh, share your thoughts on the spoiler posts for each episode of the shows that we're covering. Yes. First up for episode four, we have a voicemail from Dr. Bob Phillips. Really enjoying these voicemails from Dr. Bob. Yeah, absolutely. normally send them into us. So keep sending them in, Dr. Bob. I think, uh, I think he's just worried for us because we don't have our third normal voice in Chris uh, on these podcasts. So he's trying to add an extra voice to the podcast. So keep them coming, Dr. Bob. Well, episode four of The Rings of Power was full of extremely good advice. For example, why you should always follow the instructions of your mother unless you're going to get, like, blattered by orcs in an ancient village. And did anybody else think, Rosie the Riveter, but actually it's Rosie the Rabbit Hunter, that's saving the entire nation of humans from orc invasion. At the end of that little thread all about the tower that was protecting everybody, it was wonderful to see Elfus Ex Massina 
swing into action <laughs> as love was reunited after, well, frankly, escape from the Davros of the Orcs. Anyway, anyway, the most exciting thing in this whole episode was the use of lip reading. Now, lip reading is seriously underrepresented in nearly the whole of TV, but particularly in the fantasy genre. I mean, of course, people will have been lip reading, particularly in the days when, you know, people got old enough to have that sort of ancient loss of hearing that goes with getting very old. And you just do. You develop little bits of lip reading as you go along. Or so my friends have told me. <laughs> um, anyway, the other great thing about this episode was the use of opera as a mining tool. Finally, it made sense. Everything fit together when such an astounding voice came from such an astounding dwarf. Yep, enjoyed this episode a lot and I hope you did too. Thank you for the podcasts. I really hope you're having a wonderful holiday and looking forward to these mega episodes when you get back. Thank you so much, Dr. Bob. Yes, we had a great time on our holidays. Yes, thank you, uh, Dr. Bob. Yep, holidays was superb mm -hmm. uh, and crowned off on our return with Elphus X Machina uh, <laughs> as well. Yeah, that was superb Good um, and yeah. totally with you around Deez's absolutely beautiful operatic plea to the to the mountains mm -hmm. really good Beautiful. um i just wanted to confirm whether you're suggesting that elrond is losing his hearing maybe um maybe or, or he is, is a couple of thousand well, years that's old that's it um, he could be yeah. <laughs> um, he, it could be that he's losing his hearing. But I think as he, well. I think the point Doctor Bob is making is that we all develop the ability to read lips, yes, and when definitely. you have the amazing sight that uh, that elves have, um, they are also able to read lips from very far distances. I'm just expecting him to have a hearing trumpet uh, by, well, he possibly should have had that in the Fellowship of the Rings, but well, that would have made him look possibly less um, sort of strident. Yeah. Yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd guess at this stage that Celebrimbor might have a um, uh, a hearing trumpet uh, <laughs> somewhere <laughs> hidden, uh, and he's just reading people's lips. Uh, excellent stuff, Doctor Bob. As I said, please keep setting us in your voice. I was really loving having your uh, having your voice adding to the podcast as well. Yeah, great uh, stuff. Thanks, Doctor Bob. Let's pop on over to Facebook uh, for some Facebook feedback. First up, Anwen from New Zealand uh, had some thoughts again about. Elphis X Machinus. Uh, she says, I could honestly watch Aaron Deer catch and release that arrow a hundred times. It's like they took the agility of Legolas, the gritty hotness of Aragorn, the sadness of Grey Worm, and the arms of Hawkeye and blended them into the best elf ever. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. I love that. Yeah, absolutely loving Aaron Deer in this show. He, yeah, he's got some, had some really exciting moments uh, already in this oh, season. Oh, yeah, superb. Uh, really enjoying this character so much. And yeah. The catch and release of the arrow, just, Fantastic. you know, chef's kiss, yeah. I guess. <laughs> or elf kiss. There I you guess. go. Elf Maybe. kiss. That's what Brahman's yeah. hoping for anyway. Thanks, Elman. Uh, also, Victor Von Doom says, Salutations, my lords. Another excellent episode. What does a sealed or feel is west of Numenor? Mm -hmm. He and Theo seem to have self-destructive traits that harm their friends and loved ones. Oh, that's a nice little catch, actually. Yeah, Just the the parallels between these two. Mm. 
Victor continues, I feel Theo is, of course, doomed. There are some powerful women in this story as well. Galadriel and the Queen Regent make a remarkable and powerful pair. Bronwyn is also a natural leader, and Deza is also in their company. I was happy to see more of the dwarves. Deza is amazing and continues to bring Durin and Elrond closer together. The oath between Elrond and Durin was also very heartfelt. By the way, what is strong gravy? <laughs> Kemen seems to have a thing for Arian. Mm-hmm. He strikes me as a rebellious youth. Can he be trusted with anything? Interesting. I always knew Arondo would escape his orc captors, but not at the behest of Adar. Is Adar the first corrupted elf? What lies was he referring to i am also very interested in how all these events seem like portents drawing all the storylines and protagonists together one final question from victor was it natural mutation or sauron spells that enabled the orcs to dwell in sunlight Mm. finally will arondir and bronwyn stop messing about and just get on with it adithrasithil victor von doom Great stuff, uh, Victor. Absolutely. Yeah, some really good observations there. Some really interesting questions as well. Some uh, hopefully will be answer- answered as the show go on, of course. Uh, we'll uh, we'll get those answers as, as we go, but... Um there's some really intriguing ones. What's strong gravy? There's the, there's the first, the first question from, uh, from Victor. Um, this is, uh, where Disa says, you know, if you say someone, a, a dwarf is dishonest in their own home, that's a recipe for strong gravy. It, it's, I think they use it in Scotland. They use it over, over in Ireland a, a bit as well. It's, it's kind of saying that it's a recipe for, to annoy someone, to piss someone off, basically. Yeah. Uh, if you call them dishonest in their home, that's, that's a recipe for a, for a fight. Yeah. You're, you're cruising for a bruising be another another term for it there yeah, you go absolutely <laughs> it, it's strong gravy packs a punch yeah. you know it's a recipe for strong strong punch yeah they, certainly uh, as she's just being called dishonest in her own home mm-hmm. you know but i think she takes it in a light-hearted way you know she says it's kind of giving him the social cues that hang on you don't do that exactly you could get punched in the head here yeah. by me, nonetheless. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, as for Kevin, yeah, I guess he's the he's the son of uh, of someone really powerful in the city and is going uh, and chatting up uh, Aaron. Um, so, is he a rebellious youth or is he just different to his father? I wonder if that's if that's what it is. His father seems to have a very powerful position, so I wonder if he just works differently to his dad. Yeah, possibly. Mm. He's kind of almost an apprentice uh, to his his father in a sense or you know yeah. is one of his eyes and ears around the city he does seem quite privileged yeah uh, definitely to have that privilege of that um, background yeah and i think also in respect to adar whether he's the first corrupted elf it's kind of what i'm thinking of here and um, possibly or at least an elf um and that then creates the 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 orcs um from that mm. ha- has some ability to do that in terms of then you know, especially because they keep calling him father. Yeah. Oh yeah. Was it a natural mutation or Sauron's spells that that enabled the orcs to dwell in sunlight? Mm. So I I'm wondering whether you're referring to the Urukai from the Two Towers, mm. which was a mutation done by Saruman, um, in order to build bigger, better orcs yeah. effectively. Yeah. So he it. 
it's that moment down where it, it's kind of like they're gestating in the mud and oh, yeah. in, in the the kind of sacks uh, in the mud where Saruman has effectively mutated orcs with mm. whatever else in order to create the Urukai. Yeah, but so, I think, but I do think there is there's possibly a natural mutation as well because there are orcs as well um, that we do see in Lord of the Rings who can travel outside in the sunlight and we see them in uh in the hobbit as well who travel in the sunlight so um so it's not That's just urukai so um so it's yeah it's, it's probably a mix of both effectively so uh as as they've gotten on and potentially we may find out how they were able to dwell in the sunlight here it could be something that adar did uh this early on with the orcs some of his orcs may be able to walk in the possibly sunlight. Mm. possibly but I, I think it's very much hit home here in rings of power yeah that they can't travel in the day yeah. unless they're fully covered mm-hmm. um, because even in the Lord of the Rings it's about the the clouds, the darkness coming from Mordor and spreading out to aid their their passage yeah. to fight Gondor yeah. um, so I think it's it's that kind of side of things and yet Pippin and Merry mm-hmm. There are orcs with Urukai traveling during the day. Yeah, so yeah, so. I'm not entirely sure yeah. actually. Yeah, maybe yeah, uh, maybe Peter Jackson, Philip Boynes, and Fran Walsh just ignored that bit. Possibly, and <laughs> it's too difficult for doing night shoots it, all exactly. the time. Exactly, <laughs> it could be, it could just be that. And then yes, I'd love to know what the lies that Adar is referring to as well. Mm. Hopefully, we do get something I, a bit more on that. I'm sure we will. Sure, you will. Sure, you will. Uh, great stuff as always, Victor. Absolutely, uh, and. Yeah, good thoughts and questions. Absolutely. Thanks, Victor. Um, Joe Herbus says, We look forward to watching the show, but it's yet to really hit for me. It's slow at times and often in slow motion, but seems to skip past details other times. Hopefully we're done with Galadriel being foolishly obnoxious to everyone. That was getting kind of annoying. Uh, Surprising how easy she captured several armed and armoured guards ready for her. The smiths ranting in the square of Numenor didn't make much sense. Who would think elves would overrun the island in order to take their jobs? Elves aren't that numerous, and why would they want common human jobs working for humans? Seems like the writers wanted to compare the people's attitudes to modern ones about migrant workers and such, but as an analogy, it makes no sense with immortal elves. Odd that they completely skipped over them rescuing the trapped dwarves in the mine. That would have been more interesting than some of the stuff with the sealed door. I wouldn't think it would be a budget issue, but maybe that was it. Thanks for your thoughts, Joe. I suppose the big thing about Galadriel, we've heard that she's a warrior. She kind of goes off the handle quite a lot. You know, she's uh, she was a leader and, and a warrior. So um, the idea of her taking on a few uh, a few standard armed guards in Numenor who don't seem to get very many visitors uh, very often. <laughs> I don't think they're the greatest trained of armed guards. She slipped them uh, a couple of times. Uh, but the idea that she could take out a few of them at the same time doesn't really surprise me, given what we've seen of her uh, from the beginning of the of the series here and how many you know hundreds of years she's been uh, she's been fighting you know um yeah i mean i i definitely get you around the the guild um the guy from the the smiths guild mm. talking about the jobs you know and i mean ultimately farazon says it's only one elf yeah. uh, she isn't going to sway the queen and um, we will be united numenorians so it felt like there were maybe just different perspectives at play here. And it was Farazon that had to really say, hang on guys, this is just one elf. Mm -hmm. Um, What power over the rest of Numenor do you think she has? Certainly coming over and stealing our jobs effectively type thing. So I I think Farazon kind of came in and, 
and and snuff that that sort of disquiet, I guess, or, yeah. or that reason for disquiet out. Um, that's how I kind of took it, I guess. Yeah, and and I suppose you know I, I'm not someone that agrees with that idea anyway. In that that whipping up of people no, when, exactly. when immigrants come in and they're the idea that they're going to take all of our jobs, you know that 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 idea. Um, so while yes, I'm sure they're trying to make a connection with our modern ideas. I can understand that there would be people that would try to use that to whip people up around them, and that's why it's so easily quelled by uh, Farazan. You know that that seems to be why it's so easy for him to talk everybody yeah. off the ledge is because he's got to go and look, lads, hang on a second, they're not going to be coming in here taking your jobs. But I will say one thing that might aid it is the Numenorians are not like humans, as you can see from the uh, buildings that they've created, the weapons they've created. They are very, very skilled, and they've worked very hard to be as skilled as the elves are on Middle-earth. So while they're not up to the elves' standard and the elves aren't going to come to them and take their jobs, they are very similar in their skills and their abilities to be able to create some of the most um, amazing buildings and the most amazing um, weapons and armor. So... If you were looking for a job and you had been thrown out by your elven race, maybe you do want to come over to, to Numenor to uh, to work with them because they are very skilled people to work with. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, maybe. And it, it might just be more about protecting the trade. I mean, if they've, they're not even trading with the elves yeah. anymore. But still, I definitely get your point on, on that, Joe, mm. uh, for sure. Um, I think it, it's possibly more it's got to start somewhere and it always does. Yeah. And this is someone spouting off but is you know, easily kind of quelled by Farazon. I mean, even yeah. just that, you know, he says, talk that the queen is an elf lover just because of one elf is <laughs> is crazy. So it, it's more, again, or of, you know, a purposeful dislike, mm. hatred, call it what you will, of elves that yeah. I think the guild member is trying to sort of whip. rile at and whip up Absolutely. out of out of the crowd Absolutely. but yeah it, and then Galadriel does convince the queen to send yeah. an army uh, well exactly um so yeah i i guess it maybe could have been handled um a little bit better mm. and i i think joe to your point as as well around a sealed door i would like to see that getting a bit juicier mm -hmm. to be honest um yeah. i'm kind of intrigued by it because I guess I'm intrigued by whispering words over the the sky yeah. um speaking his name. He's also a major player though. He uh, is so you do and need to have him being brought into the story because he will do. become a major player. Yeah. But at the moment he's a very uh, he doesn't have much impetus to the character. So, no, yeah. and he's not a major player at the moment. And they've kind of told the same thing about him twice now that he loses his concentration gets kicked out of the sea guard um he lost his concentration before so um you you get a bit of that and and you're also getting that he wants to go west to uh to discover the history of his family but i do think that's those kind of points need to be repeated because the character of isildur will become really important in the future so you got to kind of keep him in there and, and keep the idea of why you were interested in this character in there but i hope he becomes more important uh, in the future but it is a shame we didn't see the trapped dwarves or the rescuing of the trapped dwarves uh in the mine um i i don't think that was sacrificed because of the Isildur scenes and i actually really love the way they dealt with, with disa's singing about them i thought that was a much more beautiful way to to deal with yeah. it rather than having an action scene of people being trapped under rubble um in the mine 
Yeah, definitely. Bosh. But I, I, I'm kind of with you. I, I do want to see a bit more meat on the old bone of Isildur, uh and and his story. Mm. You know, yep. so yep. Uh, hopefully, uh, because you know, his family has to rise to power at least, um, and I think there's uh, you know a lot there for for this character, depending on how far this goes across the 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 seasons that mm-hmm. are planned here so yeah, yeah it'll be interesting uh great stuff thanks joe for for the feedback absolutely and thanks everybody for sending in your feedback to us for lord of the rings episode four again if you want to send us in any thoughts on the show email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com with any thoughts that you have or join us on our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tv podcast industries Yes, you can support us over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash TV podcast industries or over on Buy Me a Coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash TVPI. You can also support us by subscribing to the podcast, rating us, leaving a review, uh, and of course, sharing the podcast with friends, family, elves, dwarves, and orcs even. If you so wish to go Absolutely. that route. They might um, like it. They may. They can't go out during the daytime. Maybe they have lots of time Loads to Loads of time to listen to podcasts. <laughs> exactly. Um, because, of course, even with orcs, sharing the podcast would be sharing the love. Absolutely. And maybe an orc needs a little bit of a hug yeah. uh, and a bit of a... A bit of love, yes, you know. I know. Adar does seem to give them hugs, but just before he plunges a dagger into their <laughs> exactly. into their heart. So maybe not. No, that was that was him taking care of them and putting them out of the mystery. I get that. Yes, but, exactly. Uh, but thanks so much for joining us for our podcast about Rings of Power, episode four. Uh, we are also covering, we're catching back up after our holidays. We're, we're covering uh, Marvel's She-Hulk. We uh, just covered the last two episodes of Marvel's She-Hulk, episode uh, five and episode six. Uh, a couple more episodes to go in that season. Uh, we're also covering The Sandman. Got two more episodes to go on The Sandman. Man on Netflix got episode 10 and episode 11 to cover uh, in the next week or two um, so please continue to join us you'll get all of those on our main feed on tvpodcastindustries.com or just search TV Podcast Industries on any good or evil podcast catcher to get access to everything that we're covering thanks so much for joining us we'll talk to you again next time yes thank you so much fellow ringers for joining us as always fantastic chatting about Middle Earth and the Rings of Power with mm-hmm. you. Uh, in the meantime, keep watching, keep listening, and keep sailing west. Absolutely. Drinks all round. Bye. Bye. Bye.